0: And everybody, once again, we are coming to you from Austin, Texas. Of course, uh, Kelly Victory joins us today. We'll be watching you on the Restream and over at the Rumble Rants. Today's guest, Dr. Jessica Rose. Dr. Rose has multiple degrees. She's a Canadian researcher with a degree in applied mathematics, master's in immunology, PhD in computational biology. And she has been concerned about data analysis, particularly as it pertains to the VAERS data. And what should we be doing with this data and how should we understand it? I've got lots of questions and we've been looking forward to speaking to Dr. Rose for quite some time. So let's get right onto it. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopath started this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. (laughs) I'm a a doctor for (laughs) sake, where the hell you think I learned that? very well trained to comment on things like the Vera system and the data there. I'll repeat, in addition to being a Canadian researcher, there's an undergraduate degree in applied mathematics, a master's degree in immunology, and a PhD in computational biology. And um, of course, Dr. Kelly Victor will be with you in a few minutes. Uh, we'll take a little break and bring her in here after I talk to Dr. Rose for a few minutes. So let's bring Dr. Rose in right now. Here we are. Hi. Welcome. Hey there. So. Thank you. I, 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 we have so many questions and it was such a privilege to talk to you. I'm glad you had a chance to come come in to talk to us. Uh, I'm trying to understand. <laughs> I'm trying to try to understand a lot of things. I, every, every week I come at this show with like, I have so many questions. I what is happening? Why is this happening? And I, as I was thinking about the conversation I wanted to have with you, I, I was thinking about the phenomenon of risk reward analysis, OK? Um, that when I my clinical experience uh, deviates somewhat from the data I'm hearing about on a regular basis. For instance, it seems to me that there is significant benefit, certainly for p- windows after boostering, for people who are much older with multiple com- comorbidities. In those populations, I find the... Um, I don't wanna say ease, but the the margin of error I have in dealing with those populations that have severe COVID with multiple other things I'm ac- trying to accommodate who have been properly, well, who have been vaccinated and boosted, it seems to give me a margin of safety and flexibility that I, I just didn't have back in the days of uh, Alpha and Delta. And to be fair, it might just be Omicron, but it feels like there's something a little more beneficial going on. At what risk is always the question. Now let's just pause it again, just to sort of adjust my clinical experience here, posit that there is some significant benefit to be grained and the risk isn't, it's worth the risk, let's put it that way. As you get younger, 30 year old males particularly, we start to see signals in the VARES data that are very concerning. What I've been thinking about lately is not only are those signals concerning, why do we think we have to vaccinate protect people from an illness that isn't going to hurt them? Our, our, I, I think we've gotten very tied up in the the risk part of the vaccine and arguing about that, but shouldn't we also be arguing about what potential benefits we're trying to derive, and what those numbers look like relative to the risk? And isn't that where the rubber hits the road? I'll leave it to you with that.
1: Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, by the way. It's quite an honor. Um, I think that, um, the risk to young people is so minimal that, um, well, first of all, I I, I'd like to just say that I think it still remains a personal choice, whether or not you get the injections, whether you want to get COVID and let your immune system handle it, whether you want to take, uh, prophylactic treatment, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's got to be your choice. As for the the question of risk, benefit, safety, efficacy of these uh, particular COVID products, I've done almost a 180 in the last three years on this. I am firmly advocating that nobody gets any more of these shots right now. Um, This is based on the peer-reviewed literature, case studies, pharmacovigilance data, um, which is completely atypical uh, if you look back 30 years, you can do that in VAERS. VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System for the the United States. And it's been on the go for about 30 years. And the average uh, total number of adverse event reports submitted to VAERS for all vaccines combined, and that includes all the childhood vaccines, so there are a lot, is about 39,000. And currently, in the VAERS database, in the context of just four products, not including these bivalent shots we're at 1.5 million reports that it stands in complete stark contrast and it's not just the number the absolute number of reports that are um, standing out and signifying very loud safety signals it's the range of adverse event reports um, i've looked at this upwards backwards and sideways and there's no comparison to what we're seeing now and what we've seen historically, uh, magnitude wise or range of adverse event wise. Um, so the, the young people seem to be being um, hit the worst with the cardiovascular problems. I'm, I'm doing an analysis right now, which is clustering neurological and cardiovascular problems uh, and looking at the distribution of the signals uh, across age groups. and. The, the young people are not faring well in either of them. So your, your comment is, is well taken. They, they don't really, young people don't really get um, bad effects from COVID. Um, so there's no reason to, to take the risk because the safety signals are very loud and clear, especially in specific contexts like myocarditis in young men, for example. Right. So that, that would be my quick and dirty answer.
0: Right. That, that's what I. That's what I would expect. You would say. And, and so, when I when I think about that kind of analysis, I'm trying to understand. and Poor Kelly hears me every week. asks almost the same question in some in some version. What are they thinking over at the FDA? What am I missing? What What could possibly what all- be? Uh, do know what are we all missing me?
1: no i yeah i, I can't I'm, I'm really sorry all i can say is if i was the director of the cdc we wouldn't be where we are right now um it is people might not know this but there's this vaccine adverse event reporting system is uh, a government database um you can go to prison for submitting a false report it's a serious uh vetted data set It's owned by HHS, the CDC, and the FDA. They are responsible for um, detecting safety signals from this data and doing subsequent analyses, including PRR analyses, um, uh, causality assessments, Bayesian analyses, whatever, what have you, whatever they decide is appropriate. This is what they've always done. They, They pulled the rotavirus vaccine in 99 when there was a, a handful of people, young people, who had reported intussusception. So based on a handful of cases uh, in VARES, which comprised a safety signal that was assessed to be causing, this, this product was causing these intussusception cases, the product was pulled. That's how it works. That's what the pharmacovigilance databases are for. So we're not talking about a handful of cases We're talking about over 14,000 different types of adverse events being reported in the context of four products. Uh, Many of them are death. We're at, um, let me double check my numbers here. We are at uh, well over 30,000 deaths. It might actually be 40,000, just let me update. We're looking at uh, disability reports uh, off off the scale. that's my internet is very slow. Anyway, we're, we're looking at a very broad range of what we call severe adverse events, uh, which does include disability, death, hospitalization, emergency room visits, birth defects, and life-threatening uh, ailments. So there, there's nothing, nothing I can say to explain it because it's, it's on them. The onus is on the owners of the data to do what they've always done, and they're not doing their job.
0: It, that it's just I, I people because it's so odd people come up with all kinds of explanations you know including this is intentional and all kinds of explanations out there i i just i need i'd like to see some evidence of what it is they're doing and why they're doing it like like some you know i you know some of the minutes from some of these meetings or, or something yeah on one hand i i there is evidence again trying to stay with an evidence-based explanation that people have been in an hysteria there's been an absolute hysteria the hysteria has been around covid itself that's why perhaps they took excessive risk that's why perhaps they're you know sort of inclined to sort of protect against it uber alice, against everything else but let's say let's say the hysteria also exists on the Vera side let's say that, the, that that hysteria is is equally operating, just for the sake of argument, I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying for an argument's sake, that it, the, the very, it's, it's ginning up a lot of the data uh, on the var side. Let's say it's by a factor of 10 to the second power. it's a it's hundredfold. Even if it's a hundredfold, I still don't understand the relative risk analysis that they're doing. That let's. I'll give the hysteria on both sides, even in a hysterical state. I still can't make the math work. Am I? Am I right about no, that?
1: I, I, well, yeah, no. Well, I can't make their math work either. Um, but it, if if anything, I mean, some people are making the claim that fares is being overreported right now, and that makes me laugh. Well, let's just. Um, but let's let's say
0: it is. Let's say it is by a factor okay. of a hundred, or even a thousand. Let's say a thousand. Take <laughs> it take the worst case scenario. It still doesn't yeah. add up. It still doesn't add up. Uh, and, and so that's that's, right. that's that's the part that I keep thinking: Is it ten to the seventh? Is that the problem here? Is that, even then it's like, well, okay. Now we're about equity. We're still we're still not quite there yet. Where I'd say enthusiastically recommend the vaccine, right? <laughs>
1: And if it is 10 to the seventh overreported, then um can you guys explain to us why? What's right. what's going on there? There's there's a right. problem here, people. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Yes. But just so yes. that everybody knows, it's not it's not overreported, it's severely underreported, and this has been studied, and we don't know by what factor. But even even if you do not include an underreporting factor, you do not have to in order to see the safety signals loud and clear. I mean, 1.5 million people have filed reports successfully that have made it to the front end system. So this, this is very significant without it's very without significant. needing to consider sure. underreporting.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I, I always like to ask this question too: Is is as you pull back and and try to make sense of this in your private thoughts, what what, what do you think's going on here? What what, you, what is your explanation?
1: Um. Yeah. Well, I I just heard what you said about maybe they were freaked out in the beginning and maybe there was a bit of panic and maybe they actually believed that they need an emergency use authorization, but um, I doubt that because they would have shut it down by now if that was the case. Because if if hundreds, probably tens of thousands of researchers and doctors have been able to, to determine by looking at the data and the case studies, et cetera, that there's no need uh, to have any any uh, word emergency tagged onto anything right now related to COVID. Um, it, it's just, no, I, I think that, um, I think that maybe they dug a hole uh, for themselves and they don't know how to get out. So, uh, they're, they're digging up right now, which of course we all know is not going to work (laughs) because you can't dig your way up out of a hole, can you? Yeah. So there's a lot of money, uh, tied in. There's a lot of, um, a lot of people who need to answer really serious questions that are probably really scared right now. Uh, and I, I think they literally just don't know what to do. And I think that they really don't know what to do now because I, I think the snowball is getting really big. I think a lot more people are becoming aware that Houston, we have a problem and uh, they have to start taking it seriously now that they might actually have to stop with the nonsense.
0: And, you know, when I when I think about, as you say, the the whether they're afraid or what they're thinking is. I just look at Deborah Birx's book, right? She wrote this book about the actions she took during the pandemic, which included glorious, uh, on, by her description, glorious reports of how she went rogue without the direction of any elected official or even any uh, cohort amongst her um federal federal employees, that she should have been doing what she did. She did it on her own as an evangelical to lock down the country, misled and manipulated and misrepresented to the elected officials in order to get her way and feel and writes that story as though it was a hero's tale. And uh. I worry, I, and how she could even do that in this day, to me, is just astonishing. It worries me that that's the kind of thinking that's still going on in many of these officials' minds, where we're we're the heroes, we did this thing, everything was right and just, and they want us to back off our, our, you know, what do you call it, our our crusade. It is our crusade and we're, you know, we're marching to victory and they don't see that they're in a hole. Maybe, I worry about that.
1: I do too, and, and I think that you're right. And it, it's alarming to me how many people might actually um think that the those lockdowns did save lives um without even considering the fact that they killed a lot of people i mean there's there's no doubt in my mind about that i think i think the detrimental effects of what we've all been put through in the last few years we're still seeing the impacts i mean imagine there are children that have that they've been like They've known nothing else. They were born two, three years ago. Think about that. It's like, this is yeah. the world that they were born into. It's, it's demented.
0: Yeah. And the, look, no better uh, canary in the coal mine. I'm trying to think of a better word than that, uh, sort of a harbinger than uh, adolescent females who are now yeah. two thirds or so, is it two thirds or th- half or some? I'll have to look up the number. I don't want to overstate it, are suicidal. For the first time, there's contemplating suicide at an extraordinary rate. This was all highly predictable. Anybody with clinical judgment who was doing a risk-reward analysis when people decided to do these so-called non-pharmacological interventions, it could have been easily predicted. The addiction, the mental health, the loneliness, the despair, the economic consequences. There should have been mathematical models for that as well. And it seems like they ran through without even thinking about these things, let alone modeling them. And you're going to have more deaths and more long-term life consequences from what they did than certainly than what they saved from the lockdown. Certainly.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if they saved anyone, my friend. I really don't. Um, well, I, but I, let's, I let's, give them, de- let's give them. Let's
0: give them. I'll give them 100,000 just just to be just to be, you know, sort of uh, out of good natured. There's going to be a lot more than that dying. Uh, There already has been and they will continue to be because of their actions. Um, All right. So it's time for me to take a little break, uh, Dr. Rose. And what we do here is I I take a little break and then we bring Dr. Kelly Victory in to sort of take over the interview and I'll be the gadfly to continue to stir things up as possible. We really do appreciate you being here. We've been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time. And uh, we'll take a little break and be right back. Right. Not sure how to say I love you this Valentine's Day? Well, nothing says I love you more than a few minutes of relaxation, and GenuCell Skin Care does just that. Gives you the luxury gift of feeling like you spent the entire day in the spa, all while, in fact, in the comfort of your own home. Susan loves to feel pampered and special, especially on Valentine's Day, so why not relax with a detoxifying mask and feel amazing after only one use?
1: I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using GenuCell for six months
0: now, and I'm very impressed. GenuCell's mask works wonders by pulling out all of your imperfections to make you feel refreshed and looking like you just stepped out of a facial appointment order the Dr. Drew package today and try this amazing mask for free that's right every single Dr. Drew and Susan package includes a free mask to celebrate you and your loved one on this Valentine's Day go to GenuCell.com Drew and enter code Drew for an extra 10% off your entire purchase plus all orders are upgraded to priority shipping for free that's GenuCell.com Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. Despite the U.S. blowing through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling this January, the White House and the government still refuses to reduce spending. When it comes to fiscal responsibility, you can't afford to bury your head in the sand. Now would be a great time to consider gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Visit birchgold.com to claim your free information kit, the info kit on gold, and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in the country would have to write a check for $247,000 and course they're not so it's only getting worse protect yourself with gold today by visiting birchgold.com slash drew that is b-i-r-c-h gold.com slash drew with an a-plus rating with the better business bureau thousands of happy customers and countless five-star reviews you can trust birch gold to protect your future here's what i want you to do visit birchgold.com slash true today the parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health well-being as well as longevity Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family, dogs, cats, even horses, in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7 P-E-T-C-L-U-B 247, Pet Club 247. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
2: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate, public health, to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
0: Risk-reward analysis, Dr. Kelly Victory, take over.
2: Hey, uh, thanks so much for joining us, Jessica. Really, really happy to have you. I've got uh, tons of very specific questions I wanna ask you about, uh, but I wanna start with, and clearly you have an extraordinarily impressive academic pedigree and uh, are more than qualified to talk about the data uh, coming out of VAERS. But by way of background, were you always a VAERS guru or did you get into the VAERS data and understanding this as a result of the COVID pandemic specifically,
1: yeah, uh, absolutely not. I had no idea what it was um, until recently. Okay. So I I had just completed my my second postdoc in biochemistry, and that was the end of 2019. And I had planned this um, wonderful surfing tour in Australia, and the, pretty much the day that I was supposed to leave, they they declared the pandemic, so I had to change my plans so i um i was in israel when all of this happened and it it was real hardcore when they they started um the -hmm. the mandating the locking people up the restricting movement the 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 injection rollout the masking the temperature guns you know it, it was pretty extreme so it i think because it was so extreme and the um and the ferocity of the, uh, the militants of the police uh, that I witnessed was so high, um, it seemed very clear to me quickly that this wasn't really about public health. This was more about control. And so I started looking around um, plans for the modified mRNA products to be put in the market. and. Uh, Israel was going to get the Pfizer product uh, primarily, exclusively in the beginning. And so I didn't really, uh, uh, I didn't jibe with the fact that as opposed to five to 15 years for a conventional vaccine to get from concept to arm, we were being told that these things were going to be going from, you know, pretty much concept to arm in less than a year and these right, aren't conventional right. vaccines. So I just anticipated that we were gonna start seeing injuries occurring in the context of these things. So I uh I, I had a choice, I could have chosen UJAR, or yellow card or whatever, but uh they're they're not really user-friendly. So bears is quite mm-hmm. user-friendly. You can just download that data as a CSV file and and the rest is history. I, I started teaching myself how to use R, which is a statistical programming language, and I'm still not good at it, but
2: I'm learning. <laughs> well, interesting, and as an aside, that uh, for all of the draconian measures that uh, Israel took early in the pandemic, um, the majority of the great uh, studies and articles coming out now about everything from vaccine injury, to the uh, ineffectiveness of masks, ineffectiveness and dangers of a lockdown are also coming out of Israel. So uh, perhaps they are they are getting on the right side of history uh, here with regard to to theirs, uh, and the vaccines. Uh, suffice to say, you and I are in lockstep. Uh, I am also uh, been calling for a complete recall of all of the vaccines for everyone. This is something that um, uh, Drew and I respectfully disagree on. I don't find any age group at this point uh, who stands to benefit from these vaccines. And I think uh, the safety signals are so overwhelming uh, that it is just preposterous to continue to to suggest that these are safe, let alone effective. Um, so let's talk a little bit about I, I follow your substack and read, uh, read different things that you post. So let's talk a little bit, um, you know, everyone is aware now I think that there's a concern about myocarditis. And Drew and I have covered this many times with many different guests uh, at different levels. You interestingly were pointing out in a, in a substack relatively early on that there was a difference with regard to the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, incidence of myocarditis. Both of those are mRNA vaccines, but not identical, clearly. And you had pointed out a difference in the incidence uh, of that particular adverse event, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle between the two different uh, manufacturers. Talk a little bit about that and where you where you think that's going or, or what's causing it.
1: I, I'm not sure if I can say where it's going. So it's interesting because from the vares data, from what I can recall, that was a long time ago, um, it was Pfizer that was implicated more in myocarditis reports, but in Canada Canadian data, it was the Moderna product that was implicated uh, to, to cause myocarditis more frequently. So th- there are um there there are a couple of conflicting ideas about which is worse, but I I, I don't think it matters because they're both bad. Um I haven't divided uh, by Vax manufacturer, the myocarditis um, reports when I analyze them lately. So I can't tell you what's going on right now. But what I can tell you is that um, the signal is still very strong in young people. It's the strongest in the young people. And I mean, 15 years old, young, following dose two. So uh, again, I don't know if this is specific to Moderna or Pfizer. I, I do know that you see it in both. Um, and the signal is probably a little stronger in Pfizer. Like uh, I said, I have but a
0: question I have, yep. I have a question, which is why
2: the- Oops. Oh. okay. We'll see if Please. Caleb can fix oh, your, there they are. can fix your those product. tech difficulties. We'll, we'll see he's if he my, can fix that. He's coming right
0: back. Um, Got that, me. Got me now. There you are my back. Oh, there yeah. we are. he's back. Uh, I, the, the, why do they, why is. No, everyone knows about this signal, it seems to be well accepted. And yet they made a big issue of the cerebrovascular events in elderly patients, but did not make an issue of the myocardial events in the young males. Why? What was it about that cardiova- cerebrovascular data that caused it to be something that made national press, if anything? And yet the myocardial data in populations which have less to be gained, theoretically, from the vaccine, we barely hear about that.
1: Well, it's, it's a distraction, uh, some kind of tactic similar to uh, fudging the data. That's, that's what my guess would be. I'll tell you a story. Um, I published a paper with, uh, with Peter McCullough. Can you hear me? I hear a lot of weird yeah. sound in the background. Yes, okay. it, it, sorry, I follow- it just connected the wrong mic to Drew. He's coming right back. You can keep going. All righty then. All right. I, I did a descriptive analysis of myocarditis reports in bears uh, over a year ago. This is a long time ago. Uh, Peter McCullough and I uh, co wrote it. He's a cardiologist. So, you know, I needed input because I don't know anything about cards. I mean, I do. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's best to have a cardiologist as co-author on a paper about myocarditis. So um, we got this paper peer reviewed and published and within I I was scheduled to speak uh, in the VERTPAC committee meeting uh, to I had three minutes to speak to the FDA and explain to them why uh, we should not put these things into five to 11 year old children in the United States. So what the paper showed definitively was that um, there was a very uh high preponderance of reporting going on in 15-year-old males. Uh it, it was it was very obvious. The signal was there, it was clear. So my that paper got withdrawn is the word that they used, um, without notification to myself nor Peter, um, five days before that meeting was to occur. So my point is, I, I don't believe in coincidences, and I think that was a genuine um attempt to censor uh a paper that was already gaining traction in preprint. Um, that probably, you know, it it might have made an impact, maybe not at the pack meeting, because they'd already decided what they were going to do because they already bought all the shots. But maybe it would have made an impact on the parents and pediatricians and et cetera who would have had a chance to um, decide for themselves after reading the paper whether or not it was a good idea to inject their five to 11 year old children. So um, there's a very, very loud signal uh, for myocarditis in young people, not just children, but like young adults. And I have no idea why this is not being red flagged, addressed. I mean, it's it's a big problem.
2: It really is. It's a human crisis. With regard, with regard to Drew's question about why they drew attention to the cardiovascular events, specifically the cavernous sinus cerebrovascular. thrombosis, uh, c- cerebrovascular that that was cavernous sinus thrombosis, uh, was because that was with J&J. And
0: no, no, there was a iPod- Kelly, there was a there was another announcement about stroke that they they announced that the Pfizer there was a signal of in elderly patients of an increased incidence of stroke. We don't don't know if it's anything yet, but there's this this signal. What's that? Jessica? Yeah, Well, I
2: I think I think what it is is that they are what I I think they try to make it appear as if they are acting on certain things. They try because then they could say, (laughs) see, yes, we we are. We are acting on things uh, because then. And then obfuscate, and essentially, you know, look at the shiny object over here. See, we, you know, we're we're blowing this balloon out of the sky, uh, as it were, while we ignore <laughs> the others. Um, uh, <laughs> so it's a UFO. Yeah, exactly exactly so I, that's what i think is going on um so to, to be clear yes the the signal with regard to myocarditis is overwhelming um and we're seeing it clinically we're seeing it, it is not people's imagination that young healthy people are dropping dead literally while playing sports or dying uh, unexpectedly in their sleep um another thing that you l- Talked about in a in a Substack some time ago that I thought was fascinating because Drew and I did an entire show about the lipid nanoparticles. You actually pulled the material safety uh, data sheets, you know, which is available on all all chemicals uh, that are available, and certainly those used in pharmaceuticals. Talk a little bit about that. We did a show on the dangers of lipid nanoparticles. It's not just the mRNA that's problematic, in my estimation, in these shots. But what you uncovered about this specific lipid nanoparticles that they are injecting was horrifying. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's still hard for me to, um, to to verbalize because it's it's right there on the Cayman safety data sheet. So I, I used to have to order a lot of chemicals when I was in the biochemistry lab. And the first thing that you do is you, you check the safety data sheet to find out how you handle it, what you have to do to ship it, um, what PPE you need, et cetera. So I, I'm in the habit of doing that when I find something that I don't know the nature of. So these lipid nanoparticles produced by um, Pfizer and Moderna have, you know, they're the same, but they have slightly different recipes. So they're comprised of four different lipids each. Uh, and one of those is a cationic lipid, highly charged uh, positive uh, lipid. And the Moderna product uses one called SM-102. And if you pull up the safety data sheet uh, for this product, you'll, you'll notice, and this is current, uh, in that it clearly states that it's not for human use. And it's not even for veterinary use it's it's for laboratory use only and so i was like okay well well this can't possibly be the stuff that they're using um in their lipid nanoparticle mixture so i i brought up the information for their product and indeed it's the same product so i i my first question and my first thought is always the precautionary principle line of thinking it's like well if it states on the safety data sheet that you shouldn't introduce this to humans or, or pets or animals, um, and I, I imagine that means intravenously, right, um, then w- wouldn't you want to kind of find out uh, in, in a large number of people what's going to happen and wait to see for a long time? This gets back to the safety testing aspect. I mean, personally, I don't think we should be injecting anyone with these lipid nanoparticles. They have a long history of um, being tested, tried, very problematic, Um, and they, they have a known toxicity profile. This is one of the reasons why the technology hasn't been successfully utilized in humans on a large scale before now. So it raises more question marks about Why the hell and how the hell, pardon my language, did both of these manufacturers manage to come up with a different cationic lipid that all of a sudden is safe? You know, the answer is they're not. Um, PEG is also questionable. This is another lipid that they use, both of them use in their formulations. Um, Everyone's heard of uh, PEG producing anaphylactic uh, reactions from certain people, and this is definitely a problem. But uh, again, toxicity profiles, allergenic profiles are known uh, in the constituents of these lipid nanoparticles. And for those people who don't know, these are the packages for the modified mRNA, which are specifically modified to be very stable and durable. So they don't break down quickly, like we were told. And the LNPs are slippery and slidey and designed to they basically go everywhere. They go everywhere. They bioaccumulate. They dump their payload wherever they land. And that could be in the ovaries, in the heart, in the liver, in the adrenal glands, in the spleen, in the brain, wherever they land, they're going to dump their payload, which is this modified mRNA. And the cells are going to start manufacturing mass amounts of protein, toxic foreign protein. So yeah, that was a long answer, but it, it's it's shocking oh, no. to me, and it's still hard. It's hard to swallow. I, I you know, h- how do you tell people that the thing that that is, you know, comprising this thing that they're being injected with is not supposed to be being injected into humans?
2: No one would believe yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, right? I. No, right? No, I actually looked at the safety data sheet because you had posted it, and was horrible. I mean, I know that lipid nanoparticles have their own issues. And as I said, we did an entire show talking about the data behind that. But this specific lipid nanoparticle isn't even supposed to be used in humans or animals. So uh, how they managed to get around that uh, is, is beyond me. And as you said, obviously, mRNA technology is not new. We've been working on it for well more than a decade. But the fact remains, we have never been able to create a safe, mRNA vaccine. It's never been done. Uh, and many times, not that we haven't tried, it's never been done. And, and sometimes the vaccines have failed with horrific um, results with all the animals dying and things of that sort. Um, yeah, speaking of telling a story, when I was, I was in the hospital early on when the uh, vaccines rolled out, I had an orthopedic injury and required surgery and emblazoned on the front of my chart were my two allergies, as they, they put them on the front of the chart, big red letters. I'm allergic to tetanus, toxoid, and I'm allergic to polyethylene glycol. Peg, Oh, as you just said, one of the key ingredients. And I had no less than probably three dozen healthcare practitioners come in and try to compel me during my hospital stay to get vaccinated. And I said, you understand, I am deathly allergic to polyethylene glycol. And their answer was, well, you're in the hospital. So if you have anaphylaxis, will be able to take care of you. And this is truly, I mean, I'm a physician and they told me, well, if, if you get anaphylaxis, we will we will bring you back. I said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. So truly, I mean, this is, this is insanity. Um, now my Holy next, cow. next person, <laughs> yeah, yeah, scary stuff. Uh, I was afraid to go to sleep for the entire duration of the time I was in there. I was afraid they would come in and, and jab yeah. me in my sleep. Um, Uh, which they did not, fortunately. Um, One of the other things that you've addressed that we've talked about quite a bit uh, in previous shows is this issue of um, vaccine lot inconsistencies, this, you know, the the vaccine lot saga. Uh, You know, and I have said that it, it appears that a disproportionate number of adverse events are occurring from a relatively small number of lots. What those numbers are, I don't actually know. You've addressed that and, and looked into that, I believe, um, this disparity in the distribution of adverse events.
1: Yeah, so I, I have absolutely no doubt that that's true. Um, it's tricky to use VARS to to show evidence of this because the lot data itself is really, really bad. It's poor quality. Um, Nonetheless, there, there, there is compelling uh, evidence there. Um, but more compelling to me uh, to prove variability are investigations into the, the handling and the development of the products on site. Uh, even going back to the clinical trials um, themselves, um, I don't think that these products come off of the assembly line uh, in, in good shape. Um, I have nothing to base that on. It just seems to me from what I've heard and the talks that I've listened to and the experts that I've referred to, it it seems to me that that's a distinct possibility. Even if they're all rolling off the assembly line perfectly the same, um, they have to make it to the person who's going to administer the product. And that person has to administer the product properly and they have to handle it properly. Um, There's a publication that came out recently that shows uh, the the impact of repeat freeze thaws on the lipid nanoparticles, and it causes lipid nanoparticle degradation, which causes mRNA to be released, and we don't know the impact of that. But even more um, scary, I would say, uh, in reference to product quality, is the issue of percent mRNA integrity, which... Is an issue raised by the MA. Um, there are some leaked documents that came out that show um, truncated versions of the mRNA, and the the manufacturers were told that they had to address this. They have to answer the question: What happens um, when you inject someone with a truncated version of this mRNA? Uh, are, are they having protein translation? What proteins are being translated? What's the impact on the body of these truncated proteins or mRNAs being there? Um, and furthermore, when they did an investigation on the commercial batches versus, versus the clinical batches, they found that the commercial batches, those are the ones that are meant to go into people that I think actually did go into people, these specific batches were only of 55% mrna integrity that's that's about half what they're supposed to be so you know what they did the the um the threshold for acceptance to to qualify uh a an, an rna percentage wise to be okay in terms of the product being efficacious once injected is 60 i still think that's a bit low but that's what it is so in order to get around that they just lowered the acceptance criteria to 50 and so that that's what i was mm-hmm. talking about about data data fudgery this isn't exactly data fudgery this is acceptance criteria fudgery but the things that i've seen the um the the protocols the good practices i mean wow wow what happened what happened uh, is is everyone right. just bought right. i I'm I'm finding it hard to believe um, just about one thing at least every day. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> you what am no. I seeing here? I'm wondering if you There's have a so a, many... a cohesive theory ahead, about Drew. what's going on. Cause you're like you're like me, Dr. Rose. It's like every day I'm like, I what? What's happening? How how could this be? Yeah, I... do, you, do you have an overarching hypothesis?
1: No, I'm not an overarching one answer kind of person because I I don't think it's ever one thing. I think it's a bunch of different things causing uh, an absolute like smorgasbord mess. I think there's a lot of incompetence combined with uh, negligence. I think that a lot of people are genuinely think that what they're doing is okay. Uh, I think there are evil people around. I really do. I I never used to use that word before three years ago. (laughs) Um, But I mean, just to to be on a brighter note, I also think that um, uh, the silver lining here is that um, a a lot of people are seeing things that they mightn't have believed, uh, have always been going on, um, that they believe it now after the past three years of, of shenanigans, because it's it's come forth. Um, the the regulatory bodies not doing their jobs. I mean, I suppose they might have always been kind of inefficient, but now they're just downright absent. So we're seeing that yeah. now. And there's always been a problem in the academic world with peer-reviewed publication. I mean, I I loathe the, the process and now I can really put my finger on why. It's because I don't want to have everything that I want to publish being um, vetoed because somebody doesn't think that it's interesting. If it's science and I'm doing it, then it's interesting. But apparently if it's not, you know, quote-unquote sexy enough to the 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 funders, then you'll never get your work published or your lab funded, um, uh, etc. So that's another thing that's um that's been revealed to me and a lot of other people. Um it it's still happening. I mean, we're we're still having trouble getting our work published if, if it has anything to do with reports on uh, the COVID product injuries, which everybody really needs to know about now. They need information, they're begging for it.
2: Well, the intrusion of third parties, specifically the government and big pharma into our academic institutions and into our uh, academic literature is is really terrifying. There's no question um, that what the veracity of the scientific studies is really in question because, uh, as you said, you submit something and it can actually just get pulled or not published or just summarily rejected. Um, On top of that, we've had unprecedented breaches of regulatory standards. Uh, Let's face it, you know, these, these injections are still only available in the United States under emergency use authorization. There is no FDA approved, quote, vaccine available for COVID in the United States Yet in order to have an EUA, they are required to show at least 50 percent efficacy, efficacy in preventing you know, contraction of the illness. We have been so far below 50 percent. It's been it was down in the low 30s within months of the rollout. Uh, yet all of a sudden, you know, what happened? Why do they still have an EUA? Uh, th- this is beyond me and no one's answering that question. Uh, yeah, this is the thing, right? Something- it's 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 such a. Sorry, go ahead. No, as I say, no. Go, just respond to that, and then I've got a next question.
1: Yeah, it's 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 one of these very basic questions that's really on the the tip of the brain of everyone. I think. Um, how many deaths are there in theirs? It is a real simple question to ask, and the the director of the CDC can't answer a simple question like that. She's on video showing herself mm-hmm. to not be able to answer that simple question. Right. Um, Why do we still have an EUA going? Are are we in an emergency? Are the products more than 50% efficacious? Why? No, they're not. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's remarkable. Um, It's just like you can, you're you're shouting at the clouds and all that's happening is the tumbleweed is going by and and, uh, it's not good enough. I
0: I want to ask a quick question about that because let's I, I'm trying to I, I agree with you about the incompetence and uh, negligence. I, I I think that may be a lot of what's going on. But in terms of the fifty percent threshold, the reality is, in certain age groups, certainly the the vaccine does reach a fifty percent or so threshold for about three months, doesn't it? and are they hiding behind that and is there are is there are they able to sort of fudge their bet by saying well look there's a 50% right here it's just it doesn't sustain and maybe there's no but there's nothing in the EUA authorization that requires a sustained effect above 50% or something
1: yeah it, but the thing about that is um and the ludicrousness of repeat boosters they're calling it i mean that's such a joke um they're basing all of this on repeated uh, antibody levels getting higher, but they're completely I mean I don't, I don't want to go into that because that, that's not what I want to focus on. It's the safety issue that's important, right? Every time these people are getting injected, there's a potential risk of injury, and the cumulative effects are have been shown. here's Here's a good example of that. This is dose two response, the green is um, the, are are the reports of myocarditis in, by age, in in this case, it's young people um, after dose two. So there's a a cumulative damaging response going on. um, We don't know why. We have no idea why, because the investigation, we have to acknowledge that there's a problem, number one. And number two, we have to do investigations to try and find out why. Mm-hmm. And then we have to help people. I mean, the, this is the one, two, three that we need to do. Well, it's after stopping all the shots, in my opinion. But um, right. yeah, it's like, well, okay, fine. You might need to get boosted to get this, you know, your antibodies up every three months or whatever. But what's happening to your immune system in general? Because there's a lot of data that's coming out now that's showing that it's causing immunocompromisation. And we know for a fact now that's dysregulating the immune system. It's causing autoimmune conditions to come back. It's causing cancers to come back. I mean, this, the, these are known things now. You can't, you know, you can't refute what we're seeing on the ground in the medical doctors. So, I mean, this
2: is... Uh... Right. And we're not, we're not talking about trying to prevent smallpox. Uh, we're talking about trying to prevent right. uh, a, a virus from which most people have an extraordinarily mild virus. course of events. Exactly. Um, You know, when we are talking now about the underreporting this this issue and and you rightly so, uh, Jessica, point out theirs is their own system. It's their darn system. The CDC owns it. They are the ones who put this in place. And then they're now refusing to actually acknowledge it and look at the data that their own system is capturing. I 100% agree with you that it is grossly underreported. Let's talk specifically, you used the DMED data, the Defense Military Epidemiology Database. Uh, And incidentally, we had Dr. Teresa Long as a previous guest uh, some months ago to talk about the data out of uh, the defense military, uh, what they capture, but you used the DMED uh, database to really prove or look at or expose the underreporting specifically about spontaneous miscarriages and to show that the VARES database is not accurately uh, collecting anywhere near what's really happening with regard to spontaneous miscarriages following these vaccines. Is that correct? Right. And
1: and it's not just uh, I mean, I don't I don't remember that one. There there have been two different data sets that I've been able to. Actually, Liz, uh, my friend from OpenBears did uh, a really nice write-up. If you go to OpenBears uh on her on her write-ups, you'll you'll see an article about calculating the underreporting factor from the vSafe data. This was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It, it also mm-hmm. confirmed an earlier uh estimation that I had done. And more recently, Denise Rancourt has published uh a paper. On ResearchGate, that's been yanked <laughs> as of yesterday. Uh, they didn't like that one very much, um, and I was also be able to calculate an underreporting factor um, for death using his data, um, Steve Kirsch as well. So it's somewhere between, um, I would say, twenty and forty. It, it's it's roughly thirty, which was the original estimate that I um, calculated using the severe adverse event data or the rate, uh, in the Pfizer phase three trial data. So, so, um, yeah, and it's like, we, we don't really need it because the signals are so loud and clear already. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of distinct signals. And by the way, these data points are not data points, they're people. That's why I always show absolute counts because it's like these are people that we're showing when I show my data um so to, to yeah the, to be clear when you say
2: when when you when you say thirty thirty are you saying thirty percent underreported or thirty times thirty times so it's a multiplication factor so
1: whatever yeah whatever adverse event you're
2: talking about,
1: uh multiply that number that you hear me say by thirty, and you'll probably get a better. Yeah idea of the real number of people, the actual number of people who are suffering. So I'm really bad at head math, but if you multiply 1.5 million by 30, you'll get an idea of how many people are probably sustaining injuries currently, which are ongoing, by the way, and we don't know the long-term effects because there was no
2: safety uh, testing for these
1: products. No long-term, no
2: short-term. and again, this this underreporting of VAERS is something um, that hasn't been talked about just in the context of COVID and the COVID shots. Uh, Harvard did a study over a decade ago looking at vars and their number, they said that the underreporting to the VAR system was somewhere in their estimation between 10 and 100 times, okay? They couldn't get yep. their finger. But it's always been, it's always been widely acknowledged that VAERS is grossly Underreported. This is not something that we're making up just because we're trying to gin up uh the COVID vaccine numbers. Um then now you also where I'm watching our clock wind down. Something else that I know you have been uh really I guess a victim of. Uh, again, you've danced around it a little, is the egregious censorship um that's happened amongst even our own peers and and colleagues, Um, I think you have been, unfortunately, part of that, you know, where people have really tried to shut you down, something I've never seen before. It certainly happened to me um, over and over during this. Uh, Where do you stand? Do you have an academic appointment? What do you do? Do you have a social media um, presence? Um, No, and no. Um, but it's by
1: choice. I, when I ended my last postdoc, my, my plan was not to go back to another research project. I wanted to, uh, get my own lab on the go. So maybe I'm starting to think about that now, but you know, there was this thing that happened in the last two or three years that kind of sidetracked me. And <laughs> so I, uh, I, I, I haven't lost any, uh, opportunities, let's say. Although having said that, I have not sampled the water. So I have no idea if I'm hireable. Um, I'm sure that I am with people that I'd actually want to work with. So that's a good thing. Um, and social media, I, I was like a Facebook feed for like 14 years. Uh, I'm a photographer. So I, I really used Facebook to to show everyone um, some some beautiful pictures that I would take of nature and stuff. So I was kind of heartbroken to have to leave that um, because I used it every single day. Uh, I had a lot of connections, um, but I had to because there was, I was reminded by someone I spoke to the other day that there was a lot of hostility uh, starting to be aimed at me. And that was in the very beginning when I was very, very much more sensitive to all of this. Um, So I left Facebook and, and I, I basically have no social media until recently. I, I opened up this Twitter account for a gag, although I got suspended from that too <laughs> for, for quoting CDC data of all things, literally verbatim uh, from the CDC, uh, website, some VERS data. And, and they, they thought that was, uh, misleading and, and, and so they got rid of yeah. me. I'm back now, but, um, no, I'd have to say, um, all in all, uh, I, I feel like I've gained more than I've lost. Um, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm unique in that way because I know that a lot of people have lost, but um, I'm, I'm very, very uh, focused on this truth-telling thing. It's basically all that I'm doing now, and it takes all of my time. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to focus on that uh, positive aspect of all of this.
2: Well, I, I, I got kicked off of uh, Twitter for over for over a year for posting wow. a link to sworn for sworn. I posted a link to sworn testimony uh, in front of Congress, in front of uh, Senator Ron Johnson's uh, hearing. Oh, I oh, posted right, a link right. to that. And that and that one was that was misinformation, uh, according to right. the, the Twitter uh, fact. Yeah. So uh, I got booted for over a year. Um but was, so how do people find you on I know that you're you have a Substack. Um what's the address for your Substack? So
1: the there's two. Uh Jessica.substack.com is the one that I'm more uh, um, uh I use more. The other one is more, um, if there's a movie that has come out that I think people should see uh, on these subject matters, um, or if there's some current events, uh, there's another newsletter that I have, jessica5b3.substock.com. And I have a website that I created called Jessica's Universe, which has various updated data. VAERS comes in every Friday, Amazingly, they're still releasing data, and it's continuing to grow every week. Um, so I update that every week. Uh, I do short analyses. All of my interviews are there. My CV, if you want to see if I'm actually legit. Uh, my publications from before this mess, the publications during this mess, um, and the Twitter thing, which is basically just for reach. I mean, uh, it's 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 mainly bots, isn't it? But
2: <laughs> it's still yeah, useful it, I, I in think. a way. <laughs> have you incidentally? Have you ever? Have you reached out personally in all of your analysis of this data? Have you reached out to the CDC um, to get their? Oh, yeah. Uh, solicited? Have you? Have you had any luck? Have they responded to any of your inquiries?
1: No, I I, I did one measly FOIA request, but I I backed off because I got scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I've written personal emails to Walensky, um, but of course they're not going to answer me. My, my email was very, um, you know, polite. Uh, I'm a Canadian and I, 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 don't curse people out if they, you know, haven't done something bad to me. So, uh, I, I was cordial and I, I just asked her if she could answer some questions and no, nah, they, they're they're not going to answer it cause they know who I am. Right.
2: Well, at a minimum, you've done all of their data analysis for them. You've done exactly what they should be doing and haven't done. Uh, so they owe you a debt of gratitude, as far as I'm concerned. Um, although and a lot I, of back pay. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't wait by the mailbox. I, I wouldn't wait. I, you know, I, I don't think your fruit basket is coming anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, so I know. Uh, but uh, but I agree with you. It, there you have found you know kindred souls amongst us, including uh, you know many people who you've been working with, like uh, Peter McCullough and others. Um, and I appreciate you very much being here. I don't know if we lost. We may have lost Drew um, into technical difficulties, and if that's. Like- Oh, yes. yes, we oh, do. There we go.
0: I'm back. So I've been messing around here for the last Great. ten minutes trying to get reconnected. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to ask hey. both of you just one question that I that I think again I keep I you know I harp on this stuff, Kelly, and, and but wh- why is somebody like Jessica so threatening for merely trying to arrive at the truth? Why is asking questions yeah. to try to approximate the truth? Nobody has any agenda. Nobody has any desire to anticipate the truth being one way or another, you're just trying to get to the truth. And so right. why do you think, I'll ask you first, Jessica, why do you think people would be, why would they, why would they take it upon themselves to be aggressive towards you that your uh, uh, attempt at uh, approximating the truth is somehow so threatening?
1: Well, I think that um, truth is the antidote for lies. I mean that's that's the obvious answer and so it would reveal that they've been lying and then that would probably uh mess up their not not just the, the covid and the mrna general uh scheme that they're trying to create but it might actually create real vaccine hesitancy um you know that they've put this um this stuff on the childhood uh vaccination schedule now which is the most ludicrous thing i've ever heard in my life but um yeah, I, I think I'm a threat because the truth kind of uh, dissolves lies, and uh, and they're afraid because they know that they're lying.
0: Well, and Kelly, any any new thoughts from you? And I, and thank you for carrying the load today. I've, I've been I've been uh, S O L here with my microphone. No,
2: no, <laughs> no, no worries. No, you, you know that I I believe the same thing that Jessica's saying, which is. They they uh, have a vested uh, interest in us not exposing that they have been lying. Uh, not only because I think that there's potentially criminal implications to that, uh, but yeah. it certainly removed the uh, the liability protections. You know, if you can prove fraud, then the blanket liability protection that these vaccine manufacturers have enjoyed goes away. Um, I think mm-hmm. there are people who are absolutely complicit in this. Uh, I, I don't think it is overreached when people start throwing around terms like Nuremberg 2.0. Um, I think these are crimes against humanity. And I would remind you that seven people with uh, you know MD after their names hung after Nuremberg. Uh, and I think yeah. that, um, that there are people, this is not the first time in history when atrocities were perpetrated against humanity with the assistance of the medical community. Um, and so I think that there is a lot uh, at stake here, uh, not only financial, but potentially in terms of, as I said, uh, really changing the structure of our entire healthcare system, our public health system, our regulatory agencies. Uh, this is this is big, big stuff. It has upended my life, uh, much like Jessica's for the past three years. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, if I had to do it again, I would do the same thing. Um, but we Thank are you. still- uh, we, we do not know where this is going to take us. Um, but as we expose more and more, um, I think more and more people, thankfully, are beginning to have their eyes opened. Uh, whether or not they, they feel this way about vaccines or not, I can't say, but I think people have now developed a very healthy um, uh, skepticism, let's say, about our government and our agencies.
0: With that, we'll have to wrap things up. And Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and data with us. We appreciate it. And uh, we will look for you thank on the Substack. And uh, if the new things come along, I hope you will uh, come join us and uh, tell us what you're thinking.
1: Thanks, Any Anytime. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Jessica. Thank and, you. Uh, Kelly, Thanks as so always, much. Kelly, thank you so much. Dr. Kelly Victory. Uh, Caleb, let's throw up the upcoming guests here, if you could. We have uh, Brooke Jackson, I believe, next Wednesday. Yes, Brooke uh, Jackson next Wednesday. Yes, and uh, I I don't know if we have other stuff scheduled yet. Some of
1: them we just recently uh,
2: moved the schedule around, so the schedule that I have isn't correct. So I'm not going to put that on screen
0: yet. But they do know it at drdrew.com and on YouTube. And definitely Brooke Jackson next Wednesday, correct? Yes, that's correct.
2: Yes, that's it. Yes, that's correct.
0: All right, we will leave it at that. We thank you all for being here, and uh, we are our next show. uh, Susan or Caleb, straighten me out on this. Will that be? Tuesday, three o'clock Pacific time? Tuesday, three o'clock Pacific time. Wait, we,
1: don't...
0: we don't have a guest yet, so stand by. We'll... It, it may just be me answering questions. So Tuesday's not gonna happen at all. So the next next show is gonna be Wednesday? Wednesday. All right, so it's gonna be a week before we do another show. Uh, we will see you then on next Wednesday. See you then. 8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com slash help.